You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, it is such a delight to see all of your eyeballs, to, to get to see who you are and to greet you. Thank you so much for making worship of God the most important thing about your life. And we want to just welcome all of you online, here live in the building. It's just good to see you and good to be with you. I'm going to ask you to not just use your eyes, but would you stand to your feet, if you can, for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can find your seats. So he was the fourth of the operators that I spoke to on the telephone of seven that I would speak to. And I had I'd made a special note to pay attention to his name this week when I talked to him because these are people on the other end of the line. I had problems, obviously. I was already at four different operators. And got to the end and I said, you know, thank you again, Javier. I said his name multiple times. And Javier said, what is it with you people? My name is not Javier. It's Salvador. And I was taken aback, you know, because I, I had wanted to use his name. And I said, hey, I apologize. You know, I'm trying to take care of this bill for my grandmother. I'm calling you on her flip phone over the speaker. The connection's not good. And I make it a point of using someone's personal name because I, I want them to be treated well. And Salvador said, nah, it's fine, whatever. And he was forwarding me on to the next person. Well, I, I felt kind of my blood boiling a little bit, right? Because I'm just trying to be nice. Now, that's not a conflictual conversation necessarily. I'll come back to it later. But the message that I'm going to tell you today is a message that puts someone in personal harm, risks their career, ripped them away from family members, no doubt, destroyed their entire way of making a living, and made them someone who was on the run for the rest of their life. This caused physical harm, financial harm, and destruction. And I have to wonder, have you ever had a message that you had to give that risked your death? That risked the loss of your life as you know it? I mean, maybe that's true for you, maybe it's not. In our mind right now, in our hearts, we're thinking about Zelensky, are we not? Who says, no, I'm going to stay here, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. And I think about this guy broadcasting live from government buildings, and I think, wow, how is that possible? 
And not just someone who would be in the physical eye, but the women and the men who are staying behind. And I said women and men staying behind to defend their families and take care of things. People that are outside of the lens. Or what about people in Russia who are silently walking, protesting, risking being thrown in jail for decades? And so I think about you and I. Have we ever had to share a message that would risk our very death or of life as we know it? Well, the guy that I want to tell you about today was an activist, a defender of his faith, one who felt so strongly about God he was willing to show no limits, no restraint to what he was willing to do. In his zeal, his religious fervor, he was an insider who was persecuting and taking care of those who were outside the faith, setting them straight by the way that he saw the world, correcting them, rebuking them. And his name was Paul. And the message that he was given came to him, at least in part, as he was on the way to kill and imprison and persecute more and more believers of this one they called Jesus, the one who claimed to be the Christ, the Son of God. He was on his way, and who appears to him but the dead and risen Jesus, who was off the scene of human history, but comes into his imagination, into his worldview, and says, what are you doing? And that causes Paul to reverse the course of his life, to change things, to move from being an attacker, a persecutor, a killer of Christians, to being a supporter. But he had a choice. He had a, a moment in there, many moments, many years, of figuring out what he was going to do with this message. Because this message was one of, of great inclusion. As he writes this letter that we read, he's sitting in a prison cell, and he, he may assume that the Ephesians know why he's there. I want you to know why he's there, why he's sitting in a Roman jail. He had made his way back to Jerusalem. Paul, the Jew, the Greek-speaking Jew, gets to Jerusalem, and a crowd is stirred up. And they stir up with this message. This is in from Acts 21 to 23. But he's telling everyone everywhere that they can come into the kingdom of God. He is speaking against our temple and against the Torah and against our people. And so they are attacking Paul. They are grabbing him. They are ready to kill him. These Jews want to take his life. Greeks step forward and they put him in chains and they pull him away. And they pull him to the side. And Paul is a master because he begins to speak to those Greeks in Greek. And they look, oh, you're speaking Greek. And he says, I'm a Jew. Oh, that's also stunning. And I would like to address this crowd. You mean the crowd that we just put you in chains and pulled away from and had to carry you so that they wouldn't kill you? That crowd? Yeah, that's the one I want to speak to. And Paul stands in front of them and he begins to speak in Hebrew. And they're shocked, and they listen, and they pay attention to Paul as he describes persecuting Christians. And they're like, yes, this is good, Paul. Keep at it. And they listen attentively until he gets to the point where he says that God sent him to Gentiles. And they throw off their coats, and they are ready to kill him again. 
And so the Greeks intervene again, these Roman people, and they pull him and they're like, okay, we're going to take this into our own hands. We're going to interrogate him by flogging him. Let that soak in a minute. We're going to find out what's going by beating him. And they're getting ready to beat Paul, and Paul says, is it right for you to beat a Roman citizen? Wait a second, you're a Roman citizen? We're Roman citizens. And it causes them to freeze and say, okay, well, maybe we don't need to handle this. Let's handle, hand him back to the Jews. And so he, they put Paul in front of the Jewish council. And what does the brilliant Paul, now follower of Jesus, do but speak to those Jews and start a religious debate? to get them attacking one another. This is the background of the story. This is why Paul is in prison. Because he has spoken a message that will get you killed, that makes neither side happy, Greek or Jew. And it's a message of inclusion. That the walls have come down. That, that there is not a distinction between religious people and non-religious people, between Jews and Gentiles, and that is a message that will get you killed on both sides. Our, our world feels divided. Am I alone on that one? I mean, if you listen to the conversations, the topics that are discussed, our world feels divided. We feel that in the media, we feel that in politics, we feel that at the grocery store, as people's, you know, Ire and anger is right, bubbling all the time, ready to show that they are right and other people are wrong. It's in our music. We don't really believe this message that Paul is speaking, that the world has come together in Christ. We're, we expect separation today. I mean, really, few of us really believe that this is what, is what we're supposed to be about. Whenever we look at the divisions, we don't believe this message that Christ has brought down the dividing wall and brings everything together. And I mean even Jesus followers. We'll say it, you know, it's nice in theory, but it just can't really be true. But the message that we've been looking at of this God project is that Christ is our peace. Over and over again, chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 17, Christ is our peace. Christ creates peace. And Christ is the proclamation of our message. And yet today, we're, we're rather clingy with those things that divide us. Are we not? All those things, politics, sex, religion, Whatever it is, we cling on to those things that divide us and separate us. And we hang on to them. And we don't really know and don't believe that this message truly is for everyone. And the results of this is that God has acted in Christ to bring people together. And there are two messages that I want you to get today, and they're very simple. I can say them straightforwardly. You're no longer strangers in Christ. You're citizens. You're members of the household of God. And you are being built together into a dwelling place for God in Christ. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's a message 
that we speak to everyone. It's a message we intend to embody. These are the results that we wish to see. So first, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. Our former ways of identifying ourselves, those things that we want to put forward, they're all secondary to understanding that we are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. We may feel like outcasts. We may feel like refugees. We may feel like we don't belong because we're not beautiful enough, we're not smart enough, we're not wealthy enough, we don't have what other people have. We may feel those things about how we're excluded, and we may even cling on to some of them, but that is not our primary identifier. We are in Christ. Second, we're being developed. We're being built into a place where God can dwell. All of us together, a, God, a place where God is pleased to dwell. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? And he says, this is my son, the beloved, the one in whom I'm delighted. It's the one I'm in, pleased to dwell in. That same statement to Jesus is a statement that's made to us as well, that God wants to dwell in us. And we're not defined by the, the clothes that we wear, the spending habits that we have, what our, our diet is. All of these things are not important and they're not worth clinging on to. What matters is who Christ is. Okay, so God's got this building project. Do we have any uh, architects in the room? Do we have any uh, contractors? Okay, good, because it's, it's kind of a, yes, that's, that'll work, that'll work, but just don't pay attention, okay? It's kind of a disaster, it's kind of confusing. If you're in the construction world, there are not drawings enough to make this as plain as we might want. Although, we might say, oh, this is just a myth, this is just a dream. What we're talking about is building a dwelling where God can live where God is at home. And so when you're building a dwelling of God, you're talking about a cosmic material. You're talking about things that have to be bigger than what we can even understand and imagine, that go beyond stucco or brick or wood, beyond even the historic Jesus, to go beyond to the Christ that Jesus was, that's much more vast than just the years that he lived on this earth the Christ, the King, the one who lives and reigns with God. You see, Jesus is pulling us into this building. We're, we're being pulled into cosmic reality that, that Christ is building and join us together. And this is where I want you to pay close attention. There are two verses, verse 21 and also verse 22, and it's where it gets a little bit fuzzy from a construction metaphor, but I think it works. First, we're being joined together and growing into a temple. And we know what a temple is. A temple is a place of worship, a place where you go to find God. Being joined together describes what's happening with us. Our different rocks, who we are, the differences, are being pushed together in forming a temple that grows. 
And we know buildings don't grow. I mean, unless you look at our own. What are the many phases of the building of, of this project here? Add-ons, reconstructions, additions. Okay, so maybe buildings grow in some sense. But we are being built together and joined as different pieces. And the way that we're brought together is this cornerstone. I don't know if it means cornerstone, like the corner of a building, or foundation stone on what everything is built, or the, the keystone at the top of an arch. I don't think that matters as much as we understand that Christ is the most important part of this equation. Christ is the cosmic material that pulls us together. Well, that's verse 21. In verse 22, we get that we are we're going to be built into this dwelling for God. A dwelling that Christ builds and Christ holds together. A building where two people are not two people anymore. Two groups like the Jews and the non-Jews. They're one people. One people in place of all of those other people. One group of people. So, we need each other. And what makes this building this building is the fact that it's made up of different groups of people gathered together. All right, so we take a breath and we stand back and we say, well, well so what? I mean, it's easy to get a little bit space-eyed, a little bit glassy-eyed to look at this project of what God's doing and say, it's impossible. This doesn't really apply to me. I don't belong in this building. And it's at this point that I remind us that inclusion is not a welcome message. Inclusion of bringing people together is one that gets dismissed. Most often by the people that are on the inside. Because the insiders are those that are most threatened. If you think about where all of our wars and all of our disagreements tend to come from, a lot of times it comes from differences in religious views. Where we look at one another and we fail to see one another as in Christ, being built by that same cosmic material, and we instead see that person as the other or that group of people as not a part of us. And we forget as we fail to see that we're in Christ, we, we forget the goal of all of this. That the goal is reconciliation. The goal is peace. Peace between groups of people. Coming back into right relationship with one another and with God. That's what our goal is and what we're about. And it's about the elimination of hostility. It's about the laying down of those things that separate us. And we have to think about whether what we do as Christians passes the test of eliminating hostilities, of making those things go away. If we were to ask people on the street, what's the first word you think of when you hear the name Jesus? I wonder what they might say. Would the first word that they say be, oh, hostility, meanness, is that what people would say about Jesus, this one that allowed himself to be killed? I don't think so. Maybe there'd be some outliers that would use that term, but for the most part, people have a very positive view of who Jesus is and what he's about. 
But when they look at us, when they look at the people who follow Jesus, some of those same words might be the first ones that they use to represent us. In this view, the view that the New Testament provides, and even more, the life of Jesus living among us, we see a more expansive understanding of who God is, where those of us who feel like strangers are not. For those of us that would make strangers of other people, for those who feel like being a stranger is our identity, God says that's not, that feeling that you have is not reality. That is not God's reality of being separate and bound up by hostility. So our, our response to this message that I want to unpack in some detail here, our response to this message of inclusion that Paul preached that made him risk his own life is first off to receive it, to recognize this gift that God is giving to us, a gift of being one in Christ, and receive it. To let that be the defining part of who we are, that God has brought us together in Christ. And then second, like we've already said, to allow ourselves to be built together into a dwelling place for God. We have to not just receive this gift that God has given us, but say, okay, I am going to be material in this project. I'm going to let myself be a part of it. I choose to be included in what's going on, where I want God to dwell in me and in us. So we're receiving the gift. We're saying, yes, I want to be a part of this. The third one is very much like the second one. We are being built together into a dwelling place for Christ. Do you catch that difference? It's not just about you being an individual temple of God or Christ. It's about us together in all of our differences and diversity being together a temple of God. I know a lot of us want to be kind of the star of our own reality show. We kind of assume that everything is about us. You know, we're playing the music in our ears that is the soundtrack of our life and everyone else has kind of got bit parts in this play that's all about us. That's not what this is. This dwelling is about all of us together being built. And so whenever I talk about this, I'm saying what Paul says, you plural, you guys. I'm glad there's this spell check corrected this, y'all. Okay, it's plural. It's you guys, right? And when it gets to this dwelling, it says you, singular, are being built. So all of us together are being built into this singular place. What does that mean? Well, in this world where we're parents and when we're employees, when we're uh, involved in our community, all these different places that we have in life, it doesn't mean that those responsibilities or obligations are somehow destroyed, that they go away, and that all that matters is our relationship with Christ. It doesn't mean that we enter into abusive relationships. It doesn't mean that we allow our, our will to be violated and just become passively run over. It means that we, as full agents, enter into this project with God and let God do God's work among us. 
What it looks like is that we recognize that other people are in Christ. That they are fellow recipients of what God has done in Christ. They are part of this process of bringing the far away near. They're part of this process of bringing the near close to God. And we are being brought by the cosmic material of Christ together as one. And we treat one another with peace rather than with hostility. We don't see other people as our opponents, even people who don't want anything to do with God. They're not the enemy because the goal is reconciliation. The goal is bringing them back into relationship with us and with God. And instead, instead of seeing them as enemies or opponents, we're offering to them the peace of Christ that has been offered to us. You see this peace that we're talking about. It's not our peace. It's Christ's peace. We don't have to have a meeting about it. We don't have to have a discussion about it or debate about it. We don't have to construct this peace, believe it or not. It simply is. It is the reality that is in Christ, that the near are brought close through Christ to God. And that allows us, you and me, to act above division, to transcend those things that divide us and separate us, and to act as people who are in Christ. Because the church, the church is the gathering place. It's not just a, a container that holds a bunch of doctrine. It's not just a building that holds a bunch of bodies at a certain time of the week. The church is a gathering, a weird group of aliens and strangers and outcasts and people like you and me that are on the way, on the way of discovering what it means to live in Christ. The church will never be the place where we have it all together. And outsiders might assume that the church is supposed to be the place where we have it all together. And the reason that we don't have it all together is that we're not all together yet. We as the people of God are not gathering all into the grace of God. That's when we'll have it all together. Is when we're looking around the room and we see this as God's house, not our own. Something that God is constructing that we get to be a part of. A together project where we're not alone, but we're challenged to become something beyond we ever thought we could be. Well, when I talked on the phone to El Salvador and I was clicked through to the next person, I told you my blood was boiling a bit. And I was already writing down the numbers of the people that I'd talked about because I was going to have to write letters, right? Because I was trying to do the nice thing. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, I have a choice. I have a choice in this matter that I can inflict some damage on this person who's somewhat insulted me, right? That, you know, as a white male, I can set things straight because I know the way things ought to be, and it doesn't matter what race or religion you are, you're supposed to act a certain way, right? 
And then I thought, you know, if I just pursue this, I don't know what kind of a day Salvador has had. I don't know who was on the line just before me. Am I really going to make a difference in adding to hostility? Am I going to make a difference by multiplying anger by my response to Salvador? Or is this a chance for me to absorb a very small thing, an insignificant thing, to breathe it out and maybe feel sad and sorry for the day that Salvador is having? Right? Because that would be one thing that he and I would share together. Because we're strangers no longer. I, I know his real name. I will never meet him. I will never know him. But if we really are the people of God, even those small interchanges change. Where if we read this passage, and we read it and we hear it as, I am strangers and outcasts no longer. And I can't read it as what it says. You are strangers and aliens no longer. If I have to read it as me and not you, folks, I've lost it. I've lost the message that Paul was willing to risk his life for, the message that Jesus laid down his life for, and I've lost that we are strangers no longer in Christ. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. Better than we deserve. Would you help break down the hostilities that are in our hearts that are in our minds, that are in our hands and action to do. And would you, by the power of Jesus' life and teaching, death and resurrection, by the power of your Spirit at work in each of us today, help us to be able to proclaim this message of inclusion for all people. We ask this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.